morning. Sometimes I think it'd be great if we could just end after worship and go home because I think sometimes it does a lot more than uh, preaching does. So uh, hopefully you guys will just remember where you're at right now in the presence of God and take that with you throughout the rest of this day like Jen had prayed because yeah, there's something really important and beyond words that happens in worship. And uh, it really can't be imitated, even though hearing and learning from the reading of uh, God's word is so important. I just hope you won't give up on worship either if that hasn't been your experience, that you'll continue to put everything into that. So I'm really excited to be able to share with you guys today. If you don't know me, I'm Hannah. I am the pastoral intern here at Hill City, and I'm really excited. <laughs> I'm really excited to share during the season of Advent because it's something I didn't actually grow up practicing, but something that uh, we ended up doing with a children's ministry I worked in, and I just loved the whole practice of Advent, the season of Advent, and everything it represents. So I'm excited to uh, preach this second week of Advent. I think uh, part of the reason this time of year uh, is so hard is because, uh, I don't know, some of us just can't quite get into the Christmas spirit we see advertised everywhere. Uh, we think that we're supposed to just always feel joy. You know, there's Christmas lights everywhere. There's Christmas carols playing in every story, uh, every store we walk into. We see Santa Claus and his elves running around and we think everyone has to be uh, cheery and smiling and feel really bad that we aren't and we just want to ignore all of that. Um, but before you think that um, you're the only Scroogey one around, I, I have to admit that I have a lot of Scroogeyness this time of year too because I think nostalgia, especially around seasons like Christmas, uh, can remind us of a lot of good things, but also of a lot of broken things in our life and in our past. And for many of us, Christmas can be a dark season. It can be a season that reminds us of deep wounds, of um, arguments with family, with the loss of loved ones. It reminds us that our lives don't look perfect, that we can't be that family on the Old Navy commercials all jumping around in their padded vests. I don't know who those people are, but I've never seen any children look that happy or clean this close to Christmas. So I, I don't, I, they must be models, right? Uh, so I think sometimes we have that disconnect between what we think we're supposed to be feeling this time of year and what we actually feel. And advertising and everything else only makes it worse because it makes us feel that uh, everyone has a bright and shiny Christmas or a storybook ending or their families jumping around like the old Navy families. But I think uh, one of the things I hate the most this time of year is the commercials because I don't know about you, but it's just like, besides just the commercialism in persuading kids they need every single thing advertised on TV, there's also the real like tearjerker ones, you know, the ones they put millions of dollars into. They're kind of sort of blockbuster Christmas commercials. They do them a lot more in the UK than they do here, but 
you don't know what company the commercial is advertising until the very end, right? Because it's like about a dog and he gets lost and goes makes and makes friends with the bear in the forest or something. And then finally on Christmas Eve shows up on the doorstep and his family is overjoyed and you're like just about to start crying. And then you realize it's a commercial for Chevy or Ford or something. It was the car that brought him home. And you're like, I totally got sucked into that. Now that one's not a real commercial, but I think you know the type I'm talking about. When I was young, it was the Campbell's Soup commercial with a snowman and coming in and melting away. But there's a lot of other ones you can think of too. And the reason I don't like them is because of that emotional manipulation you feel when you're watching them. It makes you feel something about this season, about this time of year, but it can't actually follow through on the promise, right? Because Campbell's Soup or a new Chevy or whatever else, is it actually gonna make you feel the same amount of happiness or nostalgia or sadness that you're feeling when the dog comes home or <laughs> anything else? So. I know maybe some of you in here are kind of sad because you like those commercials, but I think in the same way we associate Christmas with all the trappings of a fireside and good food and Christmas lights and the perfect family gathering, this association means we're even more likely to feel disappointed because in our lives, maybe the dog doesn't come home, we don't get an unexpected check in the mail, and uh, maybe our family never gets along around the holidays. So I think we're disappointed because we're accepting an off-brand or knockoff version of Christmas that can't ever deliver on its promises. Off-brands aren't always bad. When I was little, I wanted an American Girl doll so bad. And they're still around, I guess. We got, a, we got a mailer for them. So I don't know if anyone in here has experienced a child wanting one of those. Wanted one so badly. Ended up getting a porcelain doll that Christmas. Not an American Girl doll. It was just, you know, some brand. But it's amazing because, you know, off-brands in that sense aren't bad. The only difference between those two dolls was the price tag. But if you're the kid who like goes to the game and knockoff Jordans and gets made fun of, that might be a little different because knockoffs represent a better brand or we could say a deeper truth uh, than what they actually are. They're just a reflection of something. And in the same way, I think our Christmas or our idea of Christmas presented by the culture reflects many true things a longing for love and joy and peace and hope, but it doesn't deliver on any of those promises in full. I think that's part of the reason we're so depressed come the end of December when it's time to take the decorations down and nothing felt like it lived up to expectations. This brings us to Advent. The thing I like about Advent is that it doesn't require Christmas cheer to celebrate. You don't have to be Buddy the Elf in order to celebrate Advent. You just have to be longing for that light in the darkness, the solution for a broken world. Sometimes that feeling is mustered up best by the people who are suffering the most because they are the ones actually longing for it. 
We said last week that Advent is a word that means coming, and it's an ancient season on the church calendar. It actually begins the church year in some traditional churches, and it focuses on the preparation of hearts and minds as we look forward to the second coming of King Jesus. Because Christians have a distinctly different view of time. Time is supposed to be understood from the climax of the cross to the end we're looking forward to when all things will be renewed. And we get to live out that renewal right now as God's church. But this means that we're kind of caught in the in-between. We've been talking about that a lot lately. The word keeps coming up over and over again. So I think God might be trying to say something here. Maybe you feel like you're in the in-between. But we have an in-between understanding of time as Christians. We're waiting for the story's grand finale when heaven comes to earth and all of the brokenness is made right and the true king rules forever. Last week, John talked about hope, the hope of the prophets and the hope of Israel in the promises for God to bring the Messiah. And he also talked about putting our hope in God because when you're living in the in-between, it can be easy to lose sight of the larger story we're all a part of. Just as it's easy to accept, you know, knockoff substitutes this season, it can be easy to accept the knockoffs of God's gifts, his gift of great hope, and what we'll talk about this week, his gift of great love. With that in mind, we're going to turn to our scripture for today in Luke 1, 26 through 56. So we celebrate the word of God here at Hill City. And as we turn there, I just want to take a moment and with many of our brothers and sisters around the world in different churches, recognize the second week of Advent by lighting our second candle. So my sister Abby's going to come up and light those candles. And then she is also going to read our scripture passage. Okay, verse 26. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she, who was said to be unable to conceive, is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. 
At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. Thank you. Yeah, give her, give her a hand. It was really convenient to have her as a reader. I, I, I just gave her the firm uh, scripture like two days ago, so she had, uh, had to practice on late notice. But uh, I, I want to let you guys know that when I uh, decided, well, actually, I didn't decide. I was going to preach the first week, and then I realized with John's help that my thesis was due the next day after that. So uh, on Monday of last week. So that would have been a really bad idea. <laughs> um, so we switched weeks and I was thinking, I really don't want to preach the week on love. I, I don't know why. <laughs> I just, love is hard. I don't know. It's a, I feel like we've either uh, gotten a bad idea of love from culture or we've heard so many sermons on how we've gotten a bad idea of love from culture that we're just sick of hearing about it. So hopefully that won't be the case for you guys today. But I, I want to suggest, uh, like I said before, that just like we expect the off-brand version of Christmas, we're being sold in every commercial and all around, uh, and we are disappointed in it, we are also being sold an off-brand version of love. And in a culture that's obsessed with love, you'd think that we'd able, be able to present some fulfilling version of it. Uh, instead, just like Christmas, we get either, uh, you know, if it's about uh, romantic love, a idealized infatuation that disappears as soon as hormones shift, or we, if it's platonic love, we think of it as like surface level interest in another person as far as they can give back to you. Love has to be reciprocated. It's a friendship where you only do as much for the other person as they can do for you. And instead, in the Bible, and especially in this part of the Christmas story, the story we just heard in Luke 1, there's a beautiful and true account of love culminating in the arrival of God to the world. I'd like to suggest that there's three main attributes of the true gift of love that can be found here, which distinguishes it from all of our knockoff versions. Number one is love is faithfulness. Throughout the Old Testament, God's love, his mercy especially, is defined primarily 
by his covenantal faithfulness. It's a word that talks about the ancient agreements between parties when they would sacrifice an animal and commit to serving each other. Of course, when you're making that sort of agreement with God, you can be guaranteed that he will keep it. But the other end of the bargain is that the people he has formed and chosen don't often live up to expectations. Over and over again, God remakes his promises, which become one-sided because he alone is able to keep them. God's love isn't about infatuation or the return of favors or earning your place as his people. In the Old Testament, God's love is a steady and unshakable commitment, continuing though the object of his affection is often foolish and rebellious and untrue. As a side note, if you are somebody who has heard before about the mean God of the Old Testament, I really do challenge you to look at this theme throughout the Old Testament because it's amazing how much God puts up with and he continues to keep his covenant of mercy to his people. Mary recognizes this in her song of praise that we read in verses 54 and 55. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. Israel was not being brought this Messiah because of their goodness. The Old Testament has stories full of them turning their backs on him. And God is not faithful in sending his son to us because of our pretend goodness or our pretend virtue, but because of his own character, because of his own love, because he promised to do it. This is an everlasting love, a fierce faithfulness that's not happy to leave humanity with imitation goods, but instead comes down to fulfill promises and keep the covenant and provide a way to be in real relationship with God. Similarly, Mary demonstrates her own faithfulness to see the promises of God's love fulfilled, and she accepts this unique gift as a humble servant. This leads to the second attribute of love in this story. Love is sacrifice. Mary might have seemed to readily accept this commission, but this act of love required great sacrifice. Sometimes we've heard the story of Christmas so often that we forget how to imagine the reality that's described. Mary, like you've heard, was probably a teenage girl from a pretty scorned region in Israel. Nazareth wasn't popular. And she was every day living and working with her extended family, probably in a small village setting, to provide for themselves in a time when really your only job was to make sure you had food to eat for that day. She would have probably worked most of the day in the fields or at a weaving loom or baking bread. And she wouldn't have understood our modern conception of hopes and dreams and ambitions or a five-year life plan. Life was about family and about the need to provide for that family. And of course, as a Jewish woman, she would have known the scripture. She would have known God's promises. She would have seen her mother light the Sabbath candles every week. And she would have known that the holidays they celebrated marked the covenant of God to his people. But she would have never imagined that she would actually take part in this story. 
By the time she received the angel's message, Mary might have already been preparing her new home with Joseph. Often a betrothed couple would work on their home and even live together up to a year before the wedding and marriage were consummated. So into this scene of day-to-day reality comes a startling and disturbing message. We don't know what went through Mary's head when she received it. We only know that she said yes. She said yes to being the Lord's servant. She said yes to being the mother of the Messiah. You've probably already heard about the shame that this pregnancy would have brought to her family and to Joseph and to the community at large. And it's little wonder that for many years afterwards, the New Testament even records that there was a lot of embarrassment surrounding Jesus, even when he grew up and people questioning and gossiping about who his father really was. For Mary to say yes was a sacrifice, but it was just a reflection of God's love as a sacrifice, born into a broken world, brought up in a broken world. Mary's love required the sacrifice of what she expected from life so that she could give birth to the Savior of all humanity. Third, love is presence. Interestingly, there are lots of stories of gods coming down to earth. We probably all heard about Zeus and his many interactions on earth. And there's also stories about half-divine heroes making their way among men. And they always show up at the perfect moment, right? When the monster comes about or something else happens, when all the trouble (laughs) hits. And it's not a whole lot unlike our superhero movies today. But unlike these dramatic tales, God makes his presence known in the most humble of states. A helpless, dirty, crying newborn. And then he lives through the day-to-day life of a first-century Middle Eastern man, busy with work and family and the normal rhythms of life. And this means that Jesus, unlike the legendary gods of other religions, unlike the concepts that dominated ancient philosophy, unlike all those things, he actually experiences all there is of being human, of being Emmanuel, God with us. In Mary's song of praise, this remarkable vision is described in verses 52 and 53. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but he has sent the rich away empty. God's love was always meant to be manifested in his raw, powerful presence. Whether that was in the garden, or the tabernacle, or the temple, or ultimately human flesh. But this presence of his always resulted in upheaval. The same Messiah prophesied of old wasn't said to be bringing enlightenment or a higher plane of existence or serene wisdom that could give you answers to all life's tough questions. He wasn't trying to give you a path out of human experience. He was said to heal the hurting and bind the broken and fill the hungry and the poor. This wasn't supposed to be metaphorical. God was really coming to be all of those things, a presence with hurting humanity. And as Jesus grew up and he started his ministry and with each miracle he performed, he was hinting at the greater truth to come, that someday there would be a fulfillment of all things when God would dwell with us and heal us and wipe away our tears. 
And now we're the church, given the same opportunity to be the embodiment of God's presence with people working for justice and for healing. But I have to ask, uh, as you may be already, how do we actually do this? Uh, because it's, not, it's easy to delineate three traits of love and much harder to figure out a way that we can practically bring this about. I think maybe we don't even want to because we're so obsessed with the off-brand, cheap versions of love that we see on every billboard and commercial that we don't even know how to want the real thing. C.S. Lewis wrote, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. The God of the universe has come to earth with a perfect love beyond our imagining. He's dwelt with us, endured with us, and is enduring still. And we'd much rather have mud pies. By accepting his gift, we have the chance to be part of a bigger story, the story that started with creation. And the spirit that lives in us, if we're believers, enables us to do that, to bring light to those around us, to sit with people in the dark and show them what the presence of God looks like. Let's talk real quick about what that actually would be, uh, what that would look like to live out such a love. Love is faithfulness, love is sacrifice, love is presence. Love is faithfulness because God is faithful. We're not enabled to be faithful to others out of any of our own goodness, but because God has been faithful to us, because Jesus will never leave us. In the midst of tough times or hard relationships or family gatherings with that really weird uncle, God is with us. We have to stay the course because love has always been on its way from chaos to creation to the cradle to the cross to the kingdom. Love is sacrifice. God sacrificed everything to become human and dwell with us and die for us. We can recognize first that our tendency is to only love people who love us well, to only serve others if they can serve us. But to become the people of Jesus, the self-sacrificing king, we have to become like him, the one who came to, be ser uh, to serve not to be served and didn't come to show all of his glory but to die a shameful death, death on the cross. Maybe we can apologize first. Maybe we can give first when nobody's going to give back to us. Maybe we can assume the best and truly forgive people so that we can actually complete Paul's mission of outdoing one another in honoring each other. Third, love is presence. Jesus spent 30-some years on the earth being with us, and now the Holy Spirit is with us still. We can practice that really old-fashioned pastime of actually being with other people, really listening really caring and for a moment setting aside notifications or distractions or our busy schedule and looking that other human in the eyes to let them know that we are with them and God is with us. 
I don't know if you've actually been with somebody who really listens well, but it's a little uncomfortable at first. I have a friend who I've known for quite some time now, but when we first used to meet up, her intense gaze actually was really hard to handle, but it was because she was always actually listening to me. She wasn't checking her phone, and she wasn't asking questions just to keep the conversation going. She was sitting there and being with me in a way I hadn't experienced in a long time. What if Christians in this world, in this country, were known for being people who listened more than they spoke, who were committed to being a presence with people? I hope that in some way I've presented uh, a truth that reflects the greater love of God. And I know that what I can only describe in part and kind of poorly, you guys might have already experienced in your lives, an experience with God that brought you to your knees by just the amazing presence of his love. But I know even if I can't engage your imagination in that way, God is waiting to be there with you, to be a presence with you, to show you his love so that you can actually truly love other people. I think that's the real gift of Christmas. And like any other real gift, it's absolutely free. No matter how dark it seems, light came and is in the world and is coming again. And like the angel said to Mary, no word from God will ever fail. Let's go ahead and pray. Dear Lord, I just, I bring every single person here before you. I know that my words are weak, but that your word is not. That you can be with people in a way that's beyond words. And I pray that those of us here who believe in you, who have entrusted ourselves to you, would also be able to bring that presence beyond words to other people during this time of Christmas. Pray that we would remember your gift, the gift of true love, that it would empower us to be love to other people. That we would not be worried about getting things right this season, but just about bringing your presence in everywhere we go. Pray that we wouldn't be discouraged if we're feeling really disappointed with the season, but that we'd remember everything is a disappointment and a reflection at this time because we're not yet to the fulfillment of the story, to the great climax when we will actually be with you face to face. Pray that you would fill us with the truth of that, that it would ground us, that you would bring us through our days and weeks with an overwhelming sense of God with us. And that we would be a people who brings your presence out into the world. That we would listen to people, that we would love people, that we would commit in faithfulness to those you have put in our lives. And that we would remember your great faithfulness that carries us through. Pray all these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. I just want us to continue to just think about that. Faithfulness, sacrifice, and presence. Think about those three words. Because when we think about love, it's hard to go to those three words.
very important places. But uh, we want to, because love is love in good times and in suffering, in, in times of joy and in t- times of uh, when you have to like, walk through. Love is faithless. Love is sacrificial. It's going to cost you. You have to have skin in the game to grow in love. You're not going to grow because you have a good idea. Oh, I, I understand what love is. It's one thing to understand it, and it's another thing to walk through it and to stay faithful, stay sacrificial, and then also to be present. I, w- I would challenge you this week, be present. As the guys come forward, we're going to take offering together. But I just want to thank you for your generosity this year. I actually want Candace to share a story of what's going on in the DR with some glasses. You want to talk about that? Yeah. You guys can start to give, but um, it's just really cool. Uh, we and our team went, Drake led our team to the Dominican. And um, it's a very new team because Haiti, um, the Haiti Mission of Hope was closed down. So they really only been there like six, nine months. And um, so they started doing mobile medical clinics and trying to um, just get in relationship with the pastors in the villages because that's how they work. They never want to give a direct handout. They always want it to go through um, the people that are actually from there. So um, they've started doing mobile medical clinics and trying to help the Haitians that have moved into the Dominican um, because they can't get help um, very easily. So that's kind of a whole other story. But anyways, um, the lady that is leading the mobile medical clinics in the DR, Dre and I actually met her last year when we went to Haiti, and it was her first week, and she's a nurse practitioner. So it was really cool for it to come full circle a year later, and she's leading those mobile medical clinics. And um, she just ended up telling us, like, just through talking, that uh, a lot of the people were saying that they they were having a hard time reading. So... You know, we kind of were like, okay, well, you know, we were kind of in the, in, you know, everything was a little crazy. We're all going on different teams. And, but then we came home and um, a lot of you have subscribed to like the King Supers just to be able to give to the nonprofit, like in 5% goes towards us, Hill City, if you just sign up with Hill City as your nonprofit. So anyways, we got home and I think it was like a day later, we got an email that said we had $600 from the people that had signed up and their 5% goes towards Hill City. So I was like, we should totally order readers from Dollar Tree. I mean, Dollar Tree sells readers here, you know? And so we were able to send, I think it was 504 readers over to the Dominican. And, um, and so they're being able to use, you know, just you giving and you being sacrificial. And um, there's just a lot of things we've been able to do uh, this year, uh, like Urban Outreach, we feed them every second Thursday because of your giving. Um, we were able to give to Pastor Elayu who came for Secret Church on Thanksgiving. And um, I mean, he's just like, churches are just popping up everywhere in Ethiopia because of, in Uganda because of his faithfulness. And so because of your giving, it's just so cool. We have a huge heart for missions. We always have. Um, so it's just so cool for us to be able to say like, our church like has a heart for this and we can give back. And like people in the DR can read now because you know, they have Dollar Tree readers but they don't care, you know. It is just really cool to see how those needs can be met because of your generosity. 
city. So thank you guys. Um, it's very exciting for us and thank you for making that happen. Five hundred and four glasses that go to people. We also got to give to Ethiopia. Uh, we are also giving to these. This is what we are doing together. We decided that we're going to take a percentage of everything that comes in, and it's going to go out. Uh, we are uh, using teachers as uh, as missionaries to their schools. So we're giving through teachers. Uh, we're giving to Ethiopia. We have given. We're giving to church planters. Uh, we're giving. Uh, we have a percentage set aside that if they want to start a clinic in uh, in the DR, we'll, we'll we will fund a year of. We'll pay a rent for the year of a year of that. Uh, we are also giving to pastors that are going through it. So you guys are all part of th of affecting thousands of people. So I want to tell you that it's just not sitting in this place. Our heart is to love Thornton, love our city, but it's to love our world, that God uses who we are, our presence, to make a difference. And I want to thank you guys for that. Continue. Get skin in the game. I mean that. Do we really believe that the next generation of people will be greater than this last. I truly believe it. I believe that our children are going to be greater than our generation. I believe the youth are going to be greater than us. I believe that. But to make that happen, we have to get involved in that, involved with our children, involved in our youth, involved in young men's lives, young women's lives, because we believe that we are present. And it's going to take faithfulness, sacrifice, and of course, your presence. They need you. They need your voice. They need your love. And so we have a couple of other things that are going on. They're going to put up. Next week is the Christmas, the children's Christmas. They're going to be, thank you very much. They're on the ball, right? Uh, the children's Christmas program. And uh, following that, December 16th on Monday, we are going to have a community table. And there's a lot of people who are excited. And community table is just our way. We believe that the, one of the greatest needs of Thornton is a, a, is a social poverty or relational poverty. That people in suburbia might not need tangible things, but they need presence. That they are alone. That they feel like this is an area that they are bankrupt in and i believe that the church the people of god need to be filled with the love of god and just to be present and that's what community table is about it's nothing it has nothing to do with about uh like eating right well eating's awesome i love eating obviously right uh, but it has everything to do with meeting tangible needs i want you guys to be a part of that please pray i we also left a prayer in here an advent prayer of love Take this and read it every day. Read this prayer of love every day. If you didn't get one, please grab one at, uh, at the end of uh, this prayer. But we're going to pray and know that we are making a difference all across the world. All across the world. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love, Lord God. We love because you first loved us, Lord God. I pray we love this city, Lord God. We love our neighbors, Lord. And I pray... Give us a greater vision of your love, Lord God. Not just a greater emotion or motivation. We just need a greater vision of God's love for us. And that will drive us, Lord God. Because we know that love makes all the difference, Lord. We are set free by love. We are, in, 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 we are passionate, Lord God. We are motivated. We, I pray, Lord, let us get a hold of Jesus today. I thank you for Hill City Church, your people. I pray we continue to make a difference at work in our neighborhoods. 
at everything that we do at the gym, Lord God. Let us, let us take a step of faithfulness, sacrifice, and presence. In Jesus' name we pray. Everyone said, amen. God bless you guys, and thank you so much.